Heavenly Father, you are indeed worthy of your name. You are worthy of the name of being our Savior, our Redeemer, our hope, God, our eternal hope, the salvation, the promise from God, the very Word of God incarnate. Lord, you are worthy of that name. God, you're the only one that can do the transformational work. God, we cannot do it on our own. We cannot give ourselves peace. We cannot, God, give ourselves hope. The only one that can give us those things is you, Father, and we acknowledge that today. God, and we acknowledge that we desperately need a word from you. God, we need you to encourage us and renew our strength. God, that sometimes we just forget. Sometimes we get in a place where we have just forgotten your promises, and today I just praise your name for the fact that we have your word, God, to remind us of those promises. What a great and glorious thing you have given us. May we always cherish it, and may we never take it for granted. Be glorified now as we study what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So to be very transparent and be very honest with you, I was a little torn about whether to continue this series, whether to stop this series after three messages, Uh, but for whatever reason, God impressed upon my heart that I needed to continue the though you slay me, uh, the the question of how is a Christian supposed to deal with the reality of depression, and are Christians supposed to experience depression? Is it okay for a Christian to experience depression? Because what the world would have you to believe is, is that if you have the joy of the Lord, if you have that hope and that trust of eternity, then you will never get depressed. Then you will never feel sad. Well, that's a ridiculous statement. I don't believe that is true. And what we have done is we have looked at God's word and we have seen numerous people who, who, are, who are devoted to following God and doing the things of God. And, and we see them, they get in a place where they're depressed. Sometimes so much so, we looked at Elijah and we looked at the fact that he was asking God to kill him. He's like, God, I don't want to live another day. I just don't want to continue on. And so many times in God's word, you will see people just get in a very low place. And you will see God redeem them out of that low place. Sometimes, sometimes I mean, really, if you look at the book of Jonah, Jonah is just reminded of God's truth. And, and Jonah, he's kind of like uh, kind of a doofus in a lot of ways. And, and, and God just kind of ends that book with, with Jonah being bitter at the, at the place of that, that, that he had brought him to, and, and he just kind of stops right there, and that's kind of the end of Jonah. And we've looked at that series before, but, you know, I think that a lot of times, a lot of times, because Christ followers, because they're supposed to have a hope and, and, and a joy that is supposed to surpass human understanding, and that is true, I think that some people have these, these incorrect thoughts about what a Christian is supposed to experience in life. That they're, they're, you know, supposed to go to every single funeral and just be happy and joyful and clap and sing because, you know, their loved one is in eternity and they're with Jesus. But the reality is, I mean, that's a perfect example of the Christian experience, right? The reality is that though we have that hope, we're still sad. We still have things that, that, that make us sad in this life. The fallen creation of man makes us sad in a lot of ways. The fact that the death has entered into this world, it makes us sad. And that's just reality. We miss people. We miss people. When, when, when people hurt our feelings, we get down. We have bad stuff happen to us. We get sad, and that's reality. So let me, uh, let me pause for just a minute to answer a very important question. If Christians actually get sad and they have bad days, which I know none of us ever have those days, but if, if, they, do, if they do, is it okay for a Christian to be on mood-altering medication? Is that okay? 
Oh, everybody's like, "Uh uh-oh. And some of us are going like, oh, he's talking to me. Is that okay? Well, let me ask you this question. If you have cancer, is it okay for you to uh, take chemotherapy? If you have, let's say, let's say um, you've just had knee surgery or finger surgery like Kayla just recently had, right? Because I broke her finger on a rafting trip. So um, I didn't break her finger. I just took her on a place where she broke her finger. So it's not my fault. But anyway, is it okay, Kayla coming out of surgery, is it okay for her to take pain meds? Is that okay? Are you just supposed to say, you know what? I've got the Lord. I've got Jesus. That's enough. This pain doesn't matter. I'm good. I, I don't need anything else. I'm, I'm just good, right? Or is it okay for her to take pain meds? So the question then becomes, is there things going on chemically in our brain where we may need medication to help us chemically in our brains to be able to deal with certain situations? I would say, as a general rule, I would say that is acceptable. That is acceptable. Now let me throw this at you. Is it true that, that some people take pain meds to an unhealthy degree? They, they take pain meds to the point where they become, uh, they, they become dependent on the pain meds, right? And, and, and they become dependent on, on something else, and then it becomes taken to an unhealthy level. You realize that, that people do that all the time, right? That people think, take things that God has given us to be good things, and they take it to such an unhealthy level that it becomes something bad. That's what I would say about mood-altering medications as well. There are some children that need mood-altering medications because it's difficult for them to focus, and that is reality. I work for a manufacturer of one of those medications, as a matter of fact. Some of you may have heard of Vyvanse, you know? Is it okay for you to take them? Yes, I believe that it is. Is it okay for you to take them to an unhealthy level? No, I don't believe that it is. I don't believe that it is. So what is that unhealthy level? Where's that line? Can you talk to us about that line? So if we talk about what it is that God's trying to accomplish in our lives, we have said numerous times that God wants us to have a real dependency upon Him. Right? We, we even said so much so that, that when you ask the question, why did God have to put that tree in the garden to begin with to create all this stuff like death and destruction? I mean, why did that have to happen? Ultimately... It's so that we would depend on him for our rescue. It was so we would be completely dependent on him for something we could not do on our own, right? So if by chance you take mood-altering medications to an unhealthy level to the point where you are not as dependent upon God, then I believe that that is a problem. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, I don't, I, maybe I'm way out of line here. Maybe I, I've got a wrong perspective, but I believe that it's okay for us to do that, but I don't believe it's un- okay for us to take it to the point where we are no longer dependent upon God. Let's say, for example, that my daughter's got cancer, right? And she struggles 15 months with cancer. We go through chemotherapy and radiation and all that, and during that, that time period, take medication to help us get through that situation. Is that Okay. Is that okay for us to do? I think that it is. Now, we didn't happen to do that in in our family, but I think that it's okay to do that. But what I don't think is okay is if it would have somehow affected my dependency upon God's strength 
If it has somehow affected my dependency upon God to give me the peace that only he can give me. And if you get wiped out, if you're blanked out and you're just numb to the whole world and you sit there and don't do anything as a result, then no, I don't believe that's good. But if you take something that, that can affect you in a positive way, but yet not remove that dependency on the Lord, I think that it's okay to do that. Within the confines of man's legality, right? So don't be going out and being like, well, this draws me closer to God. I'm going to go smoke whatever, you know. No, I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about taking things that, that a doctor has prescribed to you. And, and just because a doctor may say that it's okay for you to take X number, you need to discern how you feel and how it affects you. And you go, okay, well, this, the doctor may have said I can take this. He has prescribed me with 25 pain pills, but you know what? I really only need three. And it's okay for you to, to wrangle those things in and say, you know what? This is what I need. I'm only going to take what I need to be okay and not affect my dependency on God. That's what I believe. Now, if you have a disagreement with me about that, then we can talk about that, and you and I can have an argument about that, and that's perfectly fine, and maybe we can agree to disagree, but that's where I land on the subject. And so many people have asked that question. I felt like it was something that I needed to address and give you my perspective. Understand that my perspective is just that. That is a human perspective. I don't see anything in God's Word that leads me to think that that perspective is wrong in any way. I think ultimately God's desire is for us to be dependent on Him, just like an infant is dependent on its mother... For nourishment, uh, to be able to raise up that child, to care for that child. That dependency grows this love in the child for the mother that is very natural. Do you agree with that? That that, that, that? that is the picture of how God wants us to depend on Him. He wants us to depend on Him for everything. And what did we see? We saw Elijah. He, he, got, he got in a bad spot. Things were going good. He was on Mount Car- Carmel, and he was up on the mountaintop, and then he goes down into the valley because, you know, the Jezebel had said, you know what, I'm going to kill you. So he runs away, gets scared, and then what does he do? So we said that, that sometimes bad, real bad things happen, and, and devastating things happen, and it causes us to get sad, and that's reality. Then we also saw where, where sometimes we build up in our brains, things get more and more and more and more, and they're really not reality that things are that bad, but what we do is we make them up in our minds to be that because we're so focused on our problems we can't see anything else. You know, and they just become bigger and bigger in our minds, and then we get to this deep place of depression and sadness, and that's a reality too. Then what did we see last week? We talked about the purpose, the purpose of some of this difficult junk that we go through as Christians, the purpose of it, and it's working a peculiar glory for us. We looked at that, how it's actually doing something in our lives. It's actually transforming us in a positive way if we will let it. Today, I want to talk to you about something else, and that is... You know, I think that, that some people that aren't Christians, they, they look at the Christians and they go, well, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? Why, you know, why, why does that happen? You know, I, does God even care about his children? Right? I mean, that, that's the question. Does God even care about his children? If he does, why would he ever let something bad happen to his child? Today, I mean, we talked about the purpose of that last week, but today I want to talk about the fact that God cares. That God really does care. That he's not just sitting up there on a the throne and he's not just sitting there just, just ah, it's okay, they'll be all right. Eventually they'll be in eternity with me. Just let them suffer through it. They'll get past it, you know. That God really does care when his children are hurting. And today I want to look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 116. 
This absolutely blows my mind. This concept that we're about to read about. Look at what it says in Psalm 116. Excuse me. It says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. A buddy of mine, uh, he's a pastor at Iron City. He posted this on Twitter, Facebook, I don't know. His name's Cody Hale. He's a good friend of mine. Love the guy to death. He, he, he just posted, he said, God listens to us. Can you even wrap your mind around that? That, it, that he can create everything that we know in, to be in creation in six days with just his words. I'm talking about stars in the sky, every single cell in the human body. Every single molecule that we know to be in existence, he created those with only his words in six days. That same God, that same God, it says literally in Psalm 116, he inclines his ear, he bends over to listen to his children when they cry out. That blows my mind. Why would he even give a rip about me? I don't know, but he does. He does. Uh, you know, when I was in the hospital with Kenneth and she was, she was going through her illness and stuff, and I didn't really know what to do, so I, I, all I knew to do was to turn to God's word. And God spoke to me through Psalm 56 for whatever reason. It says literally in there, it says that, that he has kept track of all of my sorrows. That he has captured every single one of my tears in a bottle. That he has recorded them all in this book. It says, when I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. And God, I will praise this word. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. You see, in ancient times, what they would do at a funeral is that they would, uh, if somebody was really important to you, then you would cry a lot at their funeral, right? You would be very sad when they were gone. So that what they would do is actually capture their tears and put them in a bottle and say, see how important this person was? You see how, how, how much they are missed? You see how important they were to the world? You see that? It's a visible sign of how important that person was. And it says that God does that. You have captured all of my tears in a bottle. You've, you've captured them all so you can, you can actually see. God, you have recorded all of my tears so that you can actually see all of my hurt, all of my sorrow, all of my pain. You can actually see it. Can you even believe that? That God loves you that much? You see, as Christians, sometimes we read about this God of the Bible and, and we, he seems a little bit distant, right? He seems a little bit far away. And, and, and we don't necessarily connect with that so much because he just seems like something. He, he seems as though he's just somebody we read about and, and not real and personal. You, you know what the problem is? Is that we're not reading this word enough. If we were, then we would recognize how personal he is. Because what happens is you open God's word and you begin to read it. It's the only book that reads you as you read it. And God begins to speak to you 
and begins to show you how personal and how close he is. And that's the reason I keep telling you to read this book. That's the reason it's so important for you to pick up this book and go, he is personal. He does know my needs. He does know how I hurt. In the hospital when I was reading those verses in Psalm 56, I, just, I could just feel God speaking to me. You know, you've stored up my tears in a bottle. You hear me when I cry out to you. He says, when I cry out to you, my enemies will turn back. Well, what are our enemies? You know what my biggest enemy was? And it was the first message I ever preached. It was, on, it was fear. Fear was my biggest enemy. And the only way to overcome fear is to put more and more faith in Christ. That's the only way. And because, because fear and hope can't exist in the same space. So the more hope you, you focus on, the more faith you have in that hope, then, then the more that, that, that fear is pushed away. And as we read God's word, as we see the things that God has to say to us, it gives us more and more hope. It gives us more and more reassurance that he is so personal. And then the fear is pushed to the side. When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies be, be destroyed. And then shall my enemies be pushed away. Then shall my enemies be made into the background, fade into the background. God hears us when we cry out to him. You know that God knows about death, right? He's not oblivious to it, and he knows that death scares us, and he knows that that there is sadness associated with death. Well, here, let's look at what the psalmist says in verse 3. It says, Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. You see that the, the biggest thing here is this the salvation. And this is a, a theme that we were repeated here um, in this particular passage that we'll see over and over again. is this salvation. You have rescued me. You have saved me. So we know that salvation to be the hope that exists in Jesus Christ, right? So, so now in our current day, we see how God has provided a way. He has, he's provided a way out of this thing called death, and that is to live in eternity with him. That salvation that exists through God alone that only he could create for us. And he says, he says look, I, I see that salvation. I see that God is the only way that I can be saved. I see that he is my only hope. And see, I, I know that it, it's sad when somebody dies that we love, and it's sad when we see them t- take that last breath, and it's sad when we see their, their heart stop beating. It's really, really sad. But that sadness does not overcome us in such a way that it destroys us. Because we have that hope, because we have been saved, because that, that loved one that has put their faith in Christ, we know where they are. It is not a sadness that overtakes us. That's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. It doesn't mean that we don't get sad. What it means is that we are to be more and more dependent upon the Lord. That's what it means. That's what it means. A real Christian, okay? Now, you have a choice with every single circumstance in your life about allowing that to destroy you or allowing it to draw you closer to God. You have that choice, right? And a lot of people proclaim to be Christians, and then difficult things come into their lives. And what do you see? You see them do one of two things. 
One of two things, and I've talked to the chaplain in Children's Hospital about this about a dozen times. You see them do one of two things. Either they draw closer to God as a result of that, or they get further away from God. And it all is dependent upon where their faith was before the trial or tribulation ever happened. Now, some people, their heart is in the right place, and through that difficult times, their faith is strengthened, it's grown. But some people, are, are they, they, they're not really in that place, and they proclaim to be in that place, and they have a difficult time in their life, and what does it do? It just makes them think that God does not care about them, that God is indifferent to their problems, that God has not truly provided a way out for them. Out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. And what you see is when difficult times, when difficult stuff comes into our lives, trials, if you will, come into our life, you will see this going one way or the other. And you can really tell what's in the heart then. Is it possible, is it possible that God ultimately just wants us to be more and more dependent upon Him? Regardless of what happens, good things or bad things, regardless of either one that happens, God just wants us to be more dependent on Him, more close to Him. More like that child that is dependent upon the parent for every single thing that it needs. Is it possible that, that, that as that goes on in our life, we, we have this choice and that shows our true love or lack of love for God? You see, you remember, you remember Job, he went through a lot of junk, right? We all know about Job and how difficult his life was and, and how he had boils on his skin and like his family was killed, all of his livestock was killed, his houses are burning down, like bad news for Job, right? Stuff's not good going on in Job's life. And all these things, he's got friends that come around, they start talking to him and telling him all kinds of bad theology and and all this kind of stuff. And and it's not going good for Job. But ultimately, he doesn't turn his back on God. Ultimately, he continues to pursue God, even though he's kind of angry with God at the fact that all these things have happened. And he's wondering about God. And God says, where were you when I created everything, when I put everything into existence? And, And God continues to challenge Job. And then at the end, you know what Job says? He says, I I knew of God before, but now I have experienced God in a real way. See, through those trials and through those difficulties, Job grew closer to God. He got a real taste of God as opposed to thinking that God was indifferent to his situation. That's what I want you to see today. How do we see that? How do we see that? Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the presence as I live here on earth. I believe in you. So I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. So this is is what happens. The person that actually believes in God, this is is what he does. In, In times of difficulty, this is what he does. He takes it straight to God. We don't fix it on our own. The first thing we do is we... We take it straight to God. Now, how many difficult things do you come in in your life that you take straight to God first? Because most of us, what we do is we try to fix it first. Then when we get alone at night and we, we're like, What's, what else can I do? We go, oh, yeah, by the way, let me pray. Yeah. Let me pray. Let me, let me pause for a minute and see if God can't tack on a little something that what I've already been working on to try to work this situation out. Yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, isn't that what we do? That's a natural human inclination, right? I'm going to get this stuff worked out, and, and then I'm going to ask Jesus to come along. Hey, can you, can you sprinkle a little something on top? Can you, can you sprinkle a little pixie dust to make this all work out the way I want it to, right? 
What if instead we said, you know what, I trust in the Lord and God, whatever you have in store for me, I know that what ultimately will happen is I will be closer to you as a result. Can you imagine approaching a problem that way? Can you imagine taking it to him first and say, Lord, I trust in you, I've got problems. And I don't care how it turns out, I still trust in you. That's what God desires for us. That's a great dependence upon the Lord. What What does a kid do? Now, as they get older, when they're 8, 9, 10 years old, if they scrape their knees, sometimes they don't want to go tell mama because uh, they had a bike wreck and their mama told them, don't be over in the dirt pile riding. And so they don't want to take it to mama. But when they're 3, 4, 5 years old and they scrape their knee, what do they want to do? Mama, kiss it. Kiss it, right? Isn't that what they say? Mama, kiss it. My boo-boo, you know. <laughs> That's what they say, Right? That's the image I want in your brain. That's the image I want you to have in your brain as you, as you think about God and his relationship with us. He wants, us. he wants us to, I mean, literally, God, kiss it, you know. I got a boo-boo. You know what I mean? Really. I really believe that that's the way he looks at us as his children. Because I believe if it starts there, then ultimately, you know what? If that parent continues to nurture that child and love that child and care for that child and, and, and fix the boo-boos, you know, that, that eventually when the child gets to be older and they have real needs and they're talking to their parents about drugs, alcohol, sex, like, like they feel like they can come to their parents and depend on them for truth and, and to pour into them and give them what they need. And I believe this is the picture of, of, what, of what God is trying to do in our lives. He's trying to grow this dependency on him. And here we see the psalmist, the first thing he does, he takes it to the Lord. I am deeply troubled, Lord. In my, my anxiety, I cried out to you. These people are all liars, so he's being real honest with God, right? Like, there's a bunch of jerks pursuing me. I just want you to know, Lord, in case you didn't know, they're making stuff up about me. And God's like, I know. <laughs> I appreciate you telling me, but I knew that already. You know what I mean? Like, he's got his ear inclined to us, remember? I mean, like, he puts up with all of our crazy prayers, but he wants us to come to him. He says, what can I offer the Lord, for all he has done for me. What can I do to repay him? I, have, I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. What can I give to God? What can, what can I possibly give back to this God who has rescued me, who has rescued me from death? Praise. Praise. Now, this doesn't mean come in here on Sunday mornings and raise your hands. That's a form of worship, absolutely. That's a way of praising the name of Jesus. But you know where he finds or gets most glory, most, most praise, is from our dependency upon him. As we truly come to him every single day with every single need, every single time that we have trouble, as we come to him, then that is how we glorify the Lord is by having a true dependence on him. That in our pain, in our suffering, we say, God, I just want to be close to you. I just want to be close to you because you're the, you're the only one. That can do a supernatural work. You're the only one that can give me a peace in spite of all the circumstances, all the things that are going on in my life. He says, I will praise you and I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. What, what are my, I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. What is the main thing that the psalmist, I mean, what is he doing here? What is he doing here? I mean, like we see this throughout all the psalms. We see... He's doing something. What is he doing? He's not shutting up about God, right? 
He's still talking about who, who holds the keys to everything. He's still talking about the one that is worthy of the praise. He's even doing that here in this passage. And what does the psalmist continue to say over and over again? You read these different passages. You say, he, he will continue to praise this word. I will continue to praise your name. I will continue to praise your promises. It means he just won't shut up about it. And that doesn't just mean for 15 minutes at the beginning of service on Sunday morning. It's a constant overflow. Now, I'm going to say something here. It's going to get a little personal for about two minutes. Some of y'all don't participate in small groups, and you should. Some of y'all don't participate in small groups, and you should. Now, there are two reasons that you participate in small groups. I want to tell you what they are real quick. Number one is this, is you need to become a family. As a family of God, we lift each other up. We care about each other. We try to nurture each other. And if one of us goes into the hospital, it's not Kenny's responsibility to go and visit them in the hospital. The small group's supposed to come and surround that hospital bed and pray for that person. That's what's supposed to happen. That's how it's supposed to work. Okay, now everybody else and every other church in this county probably thinks it's a pastor's responsibility. He's got to be there no matter what happens. And there are some times when I can be, but there are some times when I can't be. And if I can't be, there needs to be somebody else that can do that. You say, well, I don't know how to pray those prayers in the hospital. Well, figure it out. Talk to God. God, I don't know how to pray that prayer. Well, stand there and talk to God in front of those people. But do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Do it because you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's number one reason. It's so you can love on those people that are around you right now. As a matter of fact, some of y'all need to to look around at the people that you know, that you love and you care about, and they don't come to small groups, and you need to invite them to small groups. I'm just going to tell you that, okay? We were talking about this morning. Our small groups are about the same as they were last year, and I don't think that's okay. That means we aren't bringing people in. We aren't inviting people. I, I think that that's essential for us to do. And there are some people sitting around us right now that we need to say, hey, will you come to small groups with me tonight? But you know what the other reason is? You know what the other reason we come to small groups? So we can praise the name of Jesus together. We can talk about how good God is. We can talk about the good things that God has done in our lives. As a matter of fact, we have taken that on so personally here in small groups lately that we're just talking about our testimonies. So you say, well, I'm supposed to talk about my testimony within small group. What does that mean, Kenny? Is that my salvation story about how God rescued me from a deep desire for pornography or, or, or some, kind of, some, some kind of deep drinking or, or drug uh, situation in my life and how he rescued me out of that? It may be. Or it may have been about a time when you were desperate and, and you just needed God because your kid was dying with cancer and he encouraged your heart like only God can do. That's part of your testimony. That's part of my testimony. Maybe something in your life that God has done. That's what it's about. And if you're a Christ follower, should you have a salvation story where, where you know, yeah, man, I was rescued from death to life. And, yeah, that happened in my life. But if you don't have one of those stories, that, that's okay. Be open about it with, with your small group and say, this is the story that I do have, and I'm going to tell you guys this story. And that's why I want to encourage you to be in small groups because we need to be talking about the things that God is doing. How encouraging is that when we hear about what God has done in somebody else's life and we go, well, apparently he is personal and apparently he does care about people and apparently he is close by. 
And what an encouragement that is to our souls to hear about what God has done in other people's life. And you go, well, that guy's a jerk and he can do that in my life. You know, like, like that person's an idiot over there and he did it in their life. Surely he can do it in mine, you know. We need that. We need that. And that's what the psalmist does. He said, I'll commit, keep my commitments to the Lord. He's just praising Jesus. Just talking about how good God is. That's what the psalm. I mean, the psalms are the biggest book in the Bible. You know, it's like, like it's just over and over again. Just praising Jesus' name for what he's done. Praising God for the truth of his word. The psalmist says, I'll keep doing that. Keep doing that. Verse 15 says this. We're going to kind of come to a close here. The Lord cares deeply when one of his loved ones die. Oh, Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant born into your household. You have freed me from my chains. I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on, your, call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. It says that the Lord cares deeply when one of his loved ones die. You know that, that God wanted to show us this in a very personal way with Jesus Christ. You remember in John chapter 11 where, where his, his good friend Lazarus had died, right? His, his good friend Lazarus had, had just passed away. And, and uh, it, it says that, that his, his, his family had, had, had come around and like, Jesus, if you just gotten here a little earlier, you know, he might have been saved. And Jesus is like, no, I told you you would see the glory of God. I told you that you would see... Uh, you know, something amazing about the truth of this reality of eternal life. I told you you would see that. And they're like, yeah, I know one day, yeah, we'll see him again. And he's in heaven and I got all that, Jesus, and that's great and that's wonderful. But right now I'm so sad. And Jesus is like, no, you're going to see it right now. And Jesus stands there as they, they roll back the door of the tomb, you know, they roll the stone away. And he says, Jesus wept. Everybody knows that. You've all memorized that verse, right? That's your one memory verse you got. So Jesus wept. Was he crying because Lazarus was dead? I think that's partially true. I think that's, that's partially true. It's his friend and then he, he had died. And he was showing the human reality, the fact that, that he had died. But I think it was, it was deeper than that. I think that, that he was trying to show the depth of, depths of the human condition, the fact that we, are, we suffer from death, that that's a reality uh, of sin, that that is a reality of rebellion against God. It's that death entered into the world. And because of that, that separation from God, it breaks his heart. The fact that sin entered into the world in the garden that day is the reason death exists at this moment. And here Jesus is looking at the reality of that sin, the reality of that separation, and it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart and he weeps. Now Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. That all he had to do was call his name and he was going to come walking out of that place. Jesus knew that. So if he knew that, then why would he be sad over his death? He's sad over the broken condition of people. Not just Lazarus, but you and me. And he's broken over that. There is good news. You see, I, I read the back of the book here. In Revelation chapter 21, this is not going to be up on the screen. I want you to listen. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. 
and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying or pain. All these things are going, gone forever. So this, this is what God said. God said, there's a brokenness in the human condition right now. There's a brokenness in the world and it exists because of sin. Death has entered into the world. Heartache has entered into the world. Sickness, illness, all these things have entered into the world. And it breaks God's heart because he's personal and he knows each and every one of us. That he cares deeply about every single struggle that we have. And he's not some distant God that doesn't have any idea. It says, as a matter of fact, that he knows every single hair on your head. So he's not distant and he's not impersonal, that he is very personal. And he cares about your struggles and he cares about the fact that you struggle even with death. That that is a fear that exists within you even though that you know you have eternal life if you're a Christian. That he cares closely about every single struggle that you go through. Now, when you're going through a difficult time, I want to encourage you to do one thing, and that is this. I want you to look for those God moments where you recognize that he's not so distant after all. God's constantly speaking. He's constantly showing you things. He's constantly encouraging you. If you will tune in and you will see with the right eyes, you will see God at work. So I've told you all through this series about our struggle with, with Kenneth's cancer and how she was diagnosed and all that kind of stuff. Well, I told you when she was diagnosed, the cancer was pressing in on her brain so much so that she couldn't keep consciousness. She was in and out of consciousness and she would close her eyes and she couldn't bear to open her eyes because the pain was so intense from light entering into her eyes. So she couldn't stand it, right? So she would lay there with her eyes closed. This is immediately after she was diagnosed. She was in the ICU awaiting surgery the next day. She's laying there and... Uh, he says, Daddy, I'm afraid. Daddy, I'm afraid. No, I'm her daddy. I'm supposed to be able to fix that. I'm supposed to be able to make it right. I'm supposed to be able to wrap my arms around her and say, Baby, it's okay. You don't have to be afraid. But I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. All I could do in that moment was point her the, to the one that could. You know, when I looked at my little girl who was laying in laying in the hospital bed with tears in her eyes and she's about to have brain surgery where they're going to cut her from here to here and remove the front part of her skull to actually remove the brain tumor and she's scared and from my perspective she should be but I couldn't give her comfort I couldn't give her peace so I just looked at her I said Kenneth what do we do when we're scared she said we pray we pray she knew who could give her peace. She knew who could comfort her in that moment. I said, Kenneth, you want me to pray for you? Do you want Daddy to pray? Because, you know, I was still a dad. I was still trying to fix everything, so I thought I'd pray for her. She said, no, I got this. And I listened to my little girl pray to her Heavenly Father, the, one that, the only one that could give her peace. And she just told him, she said, God, I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid. She trusted in him. She trusted in him. And even though I'm sad, and even though I shed tears up here, that sadness does not overcome me. That sadness does not own me because I know of that eternity that exists in Jesus Christ, that he has saved me, that he has rescued me, that he has stored up my tears in a bottle, that he has recorded all of my tears in his book. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. And God, I will praise his word. And the Lord, I will praise his word. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. God has spoken that truth into my life. And the reality is, the only way I can have peace, the only way I can have any kind of comfort is to go to him and say, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm hurting. Daddy, I'm hurting. If you're hurting today, if you got deep sorrow, deep despair because of something in your life or maybe little things have built up along the way and you just, they've overtaken you, you know what you need to do? You need to just go to him because he cares. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the truth of the fact that you are a personal God, that you love us so deeply and that, God, you have not just left us in this life alone, that, that you care. God, even every single step that we take in this life, you care. God, there's so many people in this world that don't know that you care. And God, there's so many people in this room that have forgotten that you care. So Lord Jesus, I pray that today the truth of your word has reminded them that God, you do care. You cared so much that you sent your one and only son to die for every one of us so that we might have that eternal life with you. God, and we know that one day, one day you're going to set everything straight and you will dwell with us. You will be right there in our presence. God, you will wipe a tear, every tear from our eyes. There will be no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. God, we, we find hope in that, that promise of the future to come. God, in the meantime, as we walk on this earth, God, may our dependency on you grow every single day because you are close to us. Father, thank you for this reminder today. Be glorified now as we just pray to, pray to you. God, as we come to you, our Heavenly Father, God, and maybe we just need to ask you, God, to just, just be close to us in our time of hurting. God, ever, whatever you need to do in this place, I pray that we're responsive to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone stand?